I think one of the more difficult things with going to nine games is, you know, we've tried to schedule two uh, out-of-conference Power Five games to try to improve our strength of schedule over the next, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten years. And um, if we go to nine games, we'll have to unwind that. The schedule is all the rage coming off Memorial Day weekend in Destin, Florida, as the SEC spring meetings continue on. I'm Greg McElroy, Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, Jay Garcia are with us as well. We appreciate you being with us here at Always College Football. Today is going to be a really fun show. Why? Because I'm going to get a little fired up. I'm just going to acknowledge that ahead of time. I don't like the idea of the eight-game conference schedule. I'm going to tell you some of the pros and cons of the eight-game conference schedule. But ultimately, I really, really hope that cooler heads prevail and the SEC formally adopts later this week that nine-game conference format. But it doesn't seem likely, at least at this point. We're also going to dive into the mailbag. A couple of questions about athletic directors, one that was fired, one that might be stepping down and retiring here in the very near future. Please continue, and we cannot stress this enough. We have so enjoyed being with you on this platform for the last year. Podcasts have been awesome. The numbers on YouTube are terrific. We're so, so thrilled with the following that we've generated and the support that we have from all of you guys that have supported us for the past year. I do ask you, however, if you could continue to like and to rate the videos. That would be huge. The podcast as well. If you're not going to rate it five stars, don't bother. <laughs> but It would be really, really helpful if you could rate, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that could be really, really beneficial to us as we continue to move forward and we put a bow on year number one here at Always College Football. But today is about the eight-game versus nine-game SEC schedule. Pros, cons, mostly cons when it comes to eight, Mostly pros when it comes to nine. Let's discuss. We all thought that when this week arrived with SEC meetings, we'd have some resolution. We'd have some clarity. We'd have some transparency with where the SEC scheduling model was going to go. Not so fast, my friend. We also thought that at this point, it was an inevitability. That the SEC will eventually abandon divisions when they add Texas and Oklahoma. They will eventually abandon divisions in favor of trying to create as much continuity as you possibly can and to prioritize the championship game. We also thought that a nine-game schedule was a formality. That was where we were for at least the last six or seven months. Every other league, for the most part, has adopted the nine-game conference schedule, not across the board, but most leagues are, are kind of working their way in that direction. ACC still plays eight. The American, as of right now, plays eight. But either way, it's it's not really the end of the world. But we must continue to evaluate the SEC a little differently. They have to be evaluated when compared to the Big Ten. The Big Ten's playing nine. The Big Ten's abandoning divisions. We thought that the SEC would ultimately follow suit. It doesn't sound, at this point, doesn't sound like the nine-game conference schedule is going to win out. Sounding more and more... Like the SEC might maintain the status quo, even with the addition of two new teams, and go with an eight-game conference schedule. This, to me, is a horrible idea. But let's first align and recognize why the SEC might be making that decision. One, 
The SEC has been very outspoken about trying to compete for not just conference championships, but for national championships. And now, as we move into the 12-team playoff era, the SEC, if they adopt that eight-game conference schedule, they believe that if the schedule is, for the most part, weaker, if you will, if there are fewer losable games, then the likelihood of them having more teams in the college football playoff mix is actually higher. Of course, in the 12-team playoff model, you're going to have six automatic qualifiers. Six. So the SEC only gets one of those automatic qualifiers. But are they going to be better served putting forth a 9-3 and three team that went 7-2 and two in conference? Or are they going to be better served by having a team that's, say, 10-2 and two, that went 7-1 in conference? And it sounds like, at least at this point, it sounds like more people are in line with the eight-game model than what we had thought originally. It's almost all people are talking about bowl games. Well, it's going to be easier for the middle to lower tier teams to get to bowl games if they can add another FCS or a lower level group of five opponent. That's not what it sounds like this is all about. That might be advantageous for some of the programs. Maybe there are a few presidents that will be voting on this on Friday. Maybe there's a few that are sitting there and saying, you know, it'd be great if we can, you know, get to six and six and avoid being home in the postseason. But I think that's a really roundabout way of saying, well, what do we even know what bowl games are going to be in a couple of years? I mean, we're adopting the 12 game, 12 team playoff. Bowl games have already been watered down in the playoff era. Aren't they only going to be watered down more seriously as they start to move into the 12 team setup? Probably. I mean, tell me this. If you're, say, the SEC champion back in the day, you went to the Sugar Bowl. It's a done deal. You're the Big Ten champion. You went to the Rose Bowl. Done deal. Well, now those bowls are obviously still part of the 12-team model as it stands right now. But what about the Citrus Bowl, where that used to be the second, third, maybe fourth best SEC team? Now you're looking at the possibility of it being the sixth or seventh best SEC team. And then it only gets worse from there. Just using that as an example. So I don't think bowl games are a big part of this decision. I think it's really about how can we make sure we have as many teams in the discussion for the college football playoff as humanly possible. And they believe at this point, an eight-game schedule is going to be more likely to include more teams there for the six at-large spots that the SEC will be trying to occupy. I don't know if the SEC will ever get more than two, maybe three teams in. I would be surprised, to be honest with you. Some people have said, well, they could get four teams in. I have a hard time envisioning a scenario where an SEC team that's, say, 10-2, and 7-1 in the conference, maybe a win against a Power 5 opponent outside of the conference, are they really going to get in over maybe a 11-1 at-large or a 10 and two at large in another conference is playing nine games. I really don't know. I think it, de it depends on the circumstances and it depends on the college football playoff committee. I told you that I can't stand the eight game model. It's not even so much about weakening the in conference schedule. That, that doesn't really do a whole lot for me. If you're playing an SEC schedule, ACC, Big 10, Pac 12, Big 12, it doesn't, all the conferences are, you're going to get beat up a little bit for sure. But if you took, say, 
let's look at Georgia's schedule this year. Okay, they have Georgia Tech. They have four very, very manageable. With all due respect to Georgia Tech, they have four very manageable out of conference games. But let's just say you replace Ball State, who's on the schedule. Let's say you replace Ball State with Kentucky. Is it really going to change the outcome? Possibly, but not for the teams. We're talking about playoff teams here. Is it really going to make a difference if Georgia's a 31-point favorite versus a 21-point favorite against the team that they're likely to pick up within the conference? Probably not. I think same could be said for Alabama. You replace one of their non-conference FCS group of five opponents, say that you take off South Florida and you make them go to Vandy instead of having to go to Tampa to play the Bulls. Is the outcome really going to be different? I, I don't know. I'm just saying... I don't think it's that big a deal for the teams at the top. But here's why I loathe the eight-game conference schedule. It's, it's not to do with the playoff. That's fine. It's, that's, it's okay. The teams that are going to get in are going to get in. They're going to be good. It seems like the same teams are always in the mix for it. So depending on who beats who that year, we'll see how it all unfolds. But what I'm really excited about, or at least what I got really excited about with the nine-team, nine-game conference schedule was the possibility of three permanent opponents. Because right now, when I look at everything, let's just use it as an example. Let's take Texas, who's coming into the league for the first time. Texas, their permanent rivals, if you did the three permanent rivals that they played every single year, right now it'd be Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Arkansas. Those are three legitimate rivals. Three teams that all loathe Texas, and Texas loathes all three of the others. But in an eight-game conference schedule, you only get one permanent opponent. That would likely be Oklahoma. They're not going to get rid of the Red River rivalry, shootout, showdown, whatever it's called right now. They're not going to get rid of the Red River game. No chance. So that means that I don't get Texas A&M and Texas every single year. And that, to me, is a missed opportunity because there's one thing. Regardless of playoffs, middle-tier lower tier. There's one thing that if you take focus groups of college football fans all over the country, doesn't matter what part of the country they live in. doesn't matter if you're on the West Coast, Northeast, Southeast, Midwest. The thing that moves the needle more than anything else in college football, it's not the playoff, it's not bowls, it's rivalries. If you look at all the different data that we get at ESPN or what we get as college football analysts, People care more about rivalries than they do about anything else. And the idea of Bama and Tennessee going away is something that pains me to my core. I want that game to exist every year. Why? Because it's a rivalry and it's been around for the last 7,500 years, however long they've played. And if we don't have that game every year, then you're telling me that game doesn't matter as much. In an eight-game conference schedule, you cannot accommodate multiple rivals every single season. It's a one plus seven model. So you play one team every year, that's your rival. And then the other seven rotate on an annual basis. That means Alabama plays Auburn. That means Georgia plays Florida. That means Ole Miss plays Mississippi State. I'm assuming LSU will play Texas A&M. I'm assuming Arkansas will play Missouri. But there's a lot of other games that really matter beyond that one rivalry game. 
That's why I think the three plus six model with a nine game conference schedule makes all the sense in the world. You can preserve rivalries and you can recreate rivalries that went away in the last round of conference realignment. Texas and Texas A&M not playing every single year to me is a travesty as a college football fan. I'm from Dallas, Fort Worth. I grew up with that game on Thanksgiving and to see that game stop in 2011 has pained me to my core. So the excitement that I got in finding out that Texas was joining the SEC, knowing that that rivalry will be renewed was something that I found very exciting. But now if they adopt the eight game conference schedule, it doesn't sound like that's going to be a game that's played every single season. Bama, Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia. There's a million, there's a million games that matter to these schools that won't necessarily be played. South Carolina, and Georgia. I know Georgia might not view South Carolina as a rival, but I can promise you South Carolina views Georgia as a rival. And how about the premier matchups that we look forward to every year? How about the fact that Bama LSU will not be an annual contest? It'll be every other year. That's been one of, if not the most important games in the SEC for the last 15 years. Between Alabama and LSU, dating back to 2003, you have nine national championships. Nine. And countless other appearances. LSU runner-up in 11. Alabama runner-up in 21. Alabama runner-up in 16. Alabama runner-up in 18. These teams have played for, gosh, 12 national championship games in the last 15, 20 years. And to think that that game won't be played on an annual basis, to me, is... I think a little bit short-sighted. Now, here's what I would say. There's reason for hope and there's reason for optimism. And I understand where people have started to push back because it really started, nine-game conference schedule was done. It was good. Fast track, sign it into existence, let's rock and roll. And then you started to find out who your permanent rivals were and that's where people started to get a little bit uneasy. For instance, we've referenced Alabama a couple of times. Nick Saban said to a group of people with a microphone and basically said, here's the three teams they gave us. They're giving us LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn. But the way that they did it and the way that they adjusted and made sure that it was equitable across the board is that they said, well, over the last 10 years, here's the winning percentages of all the teams. If you're at the top, you're going to play two teams in the top half, one team in the bottom half. If you're in the bottom half, you play two teams in the bottom half, one team in the top half. Well, here's Bama's conundrum, if you will. Yes, LSU, top half team, they're on the list. Auburn, top half team, they're on the list, naturally. Not going to get rid of the Iron Bowl under any circumstances. But Tennessee, over the last 10 years, is in the lower half in SEC win percentage. But where is Tennessee at here in 2023? Feels very different than the Tennessee team that ran through the T every single week throughout 2012 through 2021. It's a different Tennessee team. So you might look at it and say, man, well, Bama's got three top tier programs that they have to play every single year. And that feels a little bit unfair when other teams are just having to play against the lower tier. For instance, you play against Vandy, you play against Kentucky, you play against Missouri. Those obviously won't be the three for any other team, but that's obviously a whole heck of a lot more manageable than having to play against the top teams that Bama would possibly have to play against. Think about Georgia. Think about Auburn, excuse me. Auburn 
would have to play Georgia and Alabama. Well, those would be the two teams from the top tier that they would get. Those are two of the best teams in college football and have been for years. How do you balance that out? Well, you give them Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is the lowest as far as win percentage in the last 10 years. But still, you still have two teams that are going to beat you 75% of the time or at least have in the last decade and change. And Auburn's been really good. So I can understand why there are some people that are uneasy about how inequitable it is across the board and that you shouldn't be penalized for winning games. But what I would say to that, for those that are frustrated, let's reassess this thing in four years. You do one full cycle. These are your three permanent teams for the next four years. And then we'll reassess four years from now and maybe adjust accordingly. English Premier League. I don't know if you guys follow that. I don't, I don't particularly follow it. But Leicester City or Leicester City, whatever the heck they're called, they got relegated this past weekend. They won the league in 2016. So a team that won the English Premier League seven years ago is now out of the English Premier League because they lost and were terrible and got bumped out. They can adjust accordingly. Lock and change in seven years. Well, lock and change in four as well. And I would admit, if I were in charge of this, I'd say, hey, these are your permanents for now. We'll reassess in four years. Here's the one thing I would say about being positive, potentially about the situation, because we'll try to find the silver lining. There is the possibility where there is a one-year, eight-game conference schedule that is implemented just to bridge the gap. Because remember, Oklahoma and Texas were not supposed to join the league until 2025. When they moved things up a year and they decided to join in 2024, that accelerated the process and people aren't yet quite comfortable with how exactly this process has been accelerated. So I can understand if they want to do a bridge year, that's fine. But hopefully at some point in the very near future, they start to reassess the importance of a nine-game conference schedule. I think you have to have it. Not because of the quality of the TV inventory, the quality of the games, the quality of the matchups, but because of the quality of the rivalries. If for nothing else, preserve those. That should be the number one priority. And I don't know if at this point, that is the number one priority for the decision makers that will be voting on this at the end of the week. Summer is just around the corner and it might be the best one yet. Thanks to Summer of Dash Pass from DoorDash. With a Dash Pass membership... You can save big now through July 19th on swimsuits, beach snacks, sunscreen, and more. With Summer of Dash Pass, you'll enjoy $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on all eligible orders, making it easier and more affordable than ever to stock up on your favorite summertime essentials. That's not all. You'll also get access to thousands of offers nationwide, ensuring that this summer is one to remember. So kick back, relax, and let Dash Pass help you experience the best of your neighborhood for less. Experience a summer like no other. Best your best summer with a Dash Pass membership from DoorDash today. Sign up for Dash Pass now and you'll receive your first month free. Plus, when you use our promo code, get 50% off up to $10 in value when you spend $15 or more on your next Dash Pass order. When you download DoorDash app and enter code ACF Summer, that's 50% off when you spend $10 or more on your next Dash Pass order. When you download the DoorDash app and enter code ACF Summer, don't forget code ACF Summer for 50% off your next order. Subject to change, terms apply.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. McCoy, let me ask you about the strength of schedule. You you hit on it earlier in regards to the playoff. Let's use like an A&M team that goes nine and three, you know, in in conference seven and two or whatever. And, but like, shouldn't they still be considered because of their strength of schedule? I mean, in the playoff versus a 10 and two Arizona State team, like, is that, I guess, is that what the SEC is worried about, is getting left out for somebody who might have a, a one or two more wins against lesser competition? I guess my question is, like, why do they think strength of schedule will all of a sudden disappear? It doesn't disappear, but, for instance, let's use Cincinnati as an example a couple of years ago. They were undefeated, strength of schedule, good, not great, made the playoff. Why? Because they were 12-0, and 13-0 excuse me, because they won their conference championship game. So strength of schedule argument is a subjective argument. There will be a level of subjectivity that we always will deal with. I don't care if we have 100 teams in the college football playoff. The 33 teams that are left out are going to be really ticked off, and they're going to say that they're better than the teams that got in. doesn't matter how big the gap goes. Everybody can't play each other. Not everybody can play the same schedule. So there will be a level of subjectivity. But... I would say, personally, if you give it to the layman, if you want to give it to somebody that is assessing college football, that doesn't live it, breathe it, sleep it like we do. I mean, people that are watching this podcast, we're obsessed. Like, we're all in. And we can probably tell you, not with the shadow of a doubt, but we can probably tell you, yeah, I think this team's better than this team. I think this team's better than this team. This team has this going on right now. So therefore, I don't think as highly of them as maybe I did a couple weeks ago, maybe a quarterback gets injured, what have you. But more often than not, the way people decide who's better is based on wins and losses. And I think the fear for the SEC teams, they think that there's a strong possibility, or those that are making these decisions, I think there's a strong possibility that they would say, yeah, you know what? 10-2 and two SEC with a 7-1 with a conference schedule that didn't get into the conference championship game maybe lost a nail-biter in the non-conference against another playoff contender or whatever, they think that that record at 10-2 and two will be able to go toe-to-toe against a, another conference's runner-up that's maybe 11-1 and one or 11-2 and two because they lost a game in the regular season then lost a game in the conference championship game. So I think the SEC has been given the benefit of the doubt in the past, and I think because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They're probably looking at it and saying, yeah, you know what? We'll probably get the benefit of the doubt again in the future because of the quality of the league and the amount of great players and great teams in the league as well. I'm not saying I support it. I personally, if you're nine and three and you lost three really close games to really, really good teams that are also in the playoff mix, I'm still going to hold you in really high regard. But I don't think everybody will hold you in high regard, especially if you're going up against a team that won 11 or 12 games in their regular season, but ultimately came up short in their conference title matchup.
All right, one more question on this, because I, this has been a big problem, I think, with a lot of college football fans, is when teams schedule games 10 years in advance, you know, and then you, but you also have time to build up. So I'm just going to look at Alabama's 2027 schedule. Let's say they jump to a nine-game schedule. That means Alabama's got nine SEC games, a Saturday, September 4th game against West Virginia at home, and then a Saturday, September 18th game at Ohio State. That's a daunting schedule, but it's also like one of those things where you see these teams come up. Alabama doesn't go to Columbus and play a lot. Do you think we're going to lose games like that with these nine conference games if it goes to that? Yeah, probably. Uh, unless there is a legitimate push from the college football playoff, which I would totally support, where you reward teams that take risks. You reward teams for going, even if you lose. If you go and you're willing to play at Ohio State, for instance, last year, Notre Dame, great example. Notre Dame, obviously, they started 0-2, but let's get rid of the Marshall game for a minute. Just say that that was an anomaly. That was a, a Buckner got banged up. It was just a weird game. They just, for whatever reason, they lost. But let's say they win that game. Let's just, you know, in the hypothetical world, let's just play pretend for a moment. You lose to Ohio State. You beat Marshall. You run the table the rest of your games. You're sitting there 10-2 and at the end of the year with a close loss to SC at the end of the year. Shouldn't we reward Notre Dame for having played against both USC and against Ohio State, two teams that are also in the playoff mix? Yes, we should. I know they lost to Stanford too. Like I know. So I, I don't need you to tell me, well, they lost to Stanford too. I, I know they did. I'm just, a, I'm just saying that we should, I think, reward teams for playing difficult, losable games. I gain nothing from Notre Dame beating up on Toledo. No, no disrespect to Toledo, just using them as an example. Or Western Kentucky. Uh, I personally would view Notre Dame through a better lens if they lost close to a team that's ranked one, two, three, or four than if they beat Toledo by 21 points. That's the way I view it. Not everyone views it that way. And I understand that's the beauty of the subjectivity of the, this game. That's why I think the college football is awesome because of the debates and the conversations. But at the same time, man, I would, if I were on the college football playoff committee, I would strongly prioritize strength of schedule. I would strongly prioritize strength of record. That would be at the very tip top alongside eye test with how I evaluated these teams and whether or not they should be included in a 12-team playoff. All right. So how do you, what do you do if you're not in the SEC and the Big Ten? How can teams in the ACC, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and Notre Dame increase their strength of schedule if those two conferences are not looking to add tougher games? I think you can try to find as many games in the non-conference as you can. Not easy to find, I might add. Those are difficult games to find. I know that there have been years where teams have really struggled to schedule games. People always give teams a hard time. Well, look at how Look at that, you know, cupcake schedule they have. Well, if you're one of the best teams in college football, not everybody wants to go and get their teeth kicked in. So it's not always easy to schedule non-conference games. It's really not. That's why I think they do them so far down in advance. You got to schedule it. And I think it's it's easier to kind of push down the road just a little bit. But at the same time, man, like I, I think that a big if I were the Big 12, I'd play 10 conference games. If I were the Pac-12, I'd play 10 conference games. I would play as many as humanly possible and try to get one or two big big games on the schedule every year, if possible. I wouldn't play any group of five. I wouldn't play any FCS because I don't think they will be given the benefit of the doubt 
in those games the way the Big Ten and the way the SEC might be in the years to come. So I would do as much as I possibly could to strengthen the schedule because I think that's the best way that you're going to have, the best opportunity that you're going to have to kind of flex your muscle at the end of the season. But everybody views it differently. Uh, I definitely view it stronger the better, but some people feel like going 12-0 and 0 is 12-0 and 0 and you only beat who's on your schedule. And if you play three cupcakes and nine conference games, you should be rewarded with that. But I don't necessarily totally align with that thinking because I don't think all schedules are created equal. Not all conferences are created equal. So I might value a team from the Big Ten that's 10-2 and two over a team from the ACC that's 11-1. Just using that as an, as an example. Or someone from the Big Ten, Penn State comes to mind. Here they are, 10-2, and two, put them up against uh, 11 and one Pac-12 team. I'm probably going to take the 10-2 and two Big Ten team that ran a gauntlet than a team that was 11-1 and one in the Pac-12. Just personal opinion. Pac-12, maybe not this year because the league's so strong and so good and so deep, but in the years to come down the road when the league isn't quite as good and maybe not quite as deep as they've been the last couple of years. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Like always, it's so good to be able to dive into the mailbag each and every week. We see the questions coming in. You guys are sending in countless emails to alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We're getting to them, I promise. So we're just checking them off one at a time. But you guys have done a tremendous job reaching out. We appreciate the interaction that we get with you on a daily basis. So Coobs, where are we going today? All right. First question comes from Kevin in Washington. Is there more about the Mike Bone stepping down at USC? There are the LA Times reports and a lot of unhappy Trojan alumni asking why the university continues to embarrass itself with bad hires and public ridicule. Any reason to be concerned long-term as a USC fan? I would not be concerned. Uh, based on what went down, look, I, I don't know. I wasn't in the office. I, I don't know what happened. I've read the LA Times reports. I've read that there was issues at his previous stop at Cincinnati and that he was under investigation there when he actually got the USC job. I've read all of that. But at the same time, USC might be on the verge of being as strong as they've been in 20 years. Not only is Lincoln Riley well-established, the program is making the move to the Big Ten and the athletic department is going to be flushed with cash that they haven't had in quite some time. So I am not at all concerned about the long-term health and viability of USC. I view this as a little bit of a blip on the radar 
it's problematic 100%, but I don't think it's an issue moving forward. They took care of it. It's over. It's done. He's out. They'll go hire the next best person, and hopefully they can move forward into a bright future in the Big Ten and put that situation with Mike Bone behind him. All right, next question comes from Frank in Charlotte. Gary Barta just announced his retirement from Iowa. Are the Hawkeyes close to a wholesale change? If so, how do they not become Nebraska 2.0? Well, first of all, um, no disrespect to to Iowa, but Nebraska was winning countless championships throughout my childhood. So I, you know, they've had some good moments. I remember the Brad Banks year back when they played SC in the Orange Bowl. I know that they've had some great, great seasons for sure on the cusp of the playoffs back in 2015. They've done a lot of really good things. Went to the Rose Bowl back in 2015, so they've done a lot of really good things. There's no denying that. But I don't think they're necessarily in the midst of a complete wholesale change. Look, their program's going to change. There's there's no doubt. Whether Kirk Ferentz is there for the next 20 years or not, their program is going to change because it's going to get more difficult. As they abandon divisions in the Big Ten, I've said this about Minnesota, I've said this about Wisconsin, I've said this about Northwestern, I've said this about Iowa, I've said this about Nebraska, it's going to get tougher for the teams that were in the Big Ten West when they get rid of divisions and you're now having to vie for conference championship supremacy by playing against Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, what have you. There has been a remarkable imbalance of power in the Big Ten for the last 10 years. If you don't believe me, just look at the outcomes of the Big Ten championship game. The last Big Ten West team to win it was Wisconsin over a decade ago. So it's been a while. But I do think that at some point when there's a new athletic director coming in, Anything's possible. Anything's possible with what could change, what the priorities with the next group will be, what the next athletic director prioritizes. All those things could very much come to fruition. So yeah, Iowa is about to change a lot. Uh, their strength of schedule will change a lot. Their opportunities and their pathway to the Big Ten Championship game is going to get a whole heck of a lot tougher. But either way, it's a strong athletic department. It's a strong athletic program. It's a strong football program with a proud history of consistency and success. So I still think they'll be very, very competitive, but I do think life is going to get tougher there for Iowa here in the immediate future. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue. Like I told you earlier, really, really helps us out. I can't believe how many people come and absorb this podcast every day. We're so, so lucky. We're so, so grateful to all of you. One thing that we ask from you, if you could, just please put a rating down, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, put that rating down. It helps us out and it really helps the show out. So just take a couple seconds for us, please. We ask you uh, to go throw a rating on there, if you will. And if you ever want to leave a review, we're happy to read and we're happy to adjust. We're trying to get better. We're finishing up year number one. We've reached millions upon millions of people that have touched this podcast at some point in the last year. So we can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking some time out to talk a little college fo football with us, especially here in May. <laughs> so it's awesome to be able to have these discussions. And honestly, honestly too, like there's a lot of subjectivity in this. And, and we're going to disagree. There's going to be things that I say that you don't agree with. And that's perfectly okay. That's the beauty of our sport. Continue to acknowledge that that's what makes us different. Everyone talks about, well, college football is it's not the same. It's, it's always the same. When toe meets leather in the fall, it's always the same. It's always awesome. And that's why we do what we do. But the conversations that we can have are really beneficial to the sport as well. 
I don't know if we, I, I have all the answers. I don't think I do. I have opinions. Uh, you probably do too. But understand that the subjectivity, even though you might hate it, is actually what makes college football unique. So we need to lean into that and we need to continue to press forward and do the best we can to listen to each other and to acknowledge, the, I guess, the positives of some other people's arguments as well. We really appreciate the time. Thank you again for being with us here today. For Jack, for Mark, for Jake, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.